BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going. Monday, January 23rd, it's the call-up, and we have another farm system breakdown. I'm Aram Layton. He's Jack McMullen, and Jack, I mean, this is perfect, right? This is the system that you saw a lot of at the highest level, but also keep tabs on because you also wanted to know who was going to reach AAA and who was coming up through the pipeline, and I'm really excited to talk Pittsburgh Pirates with you. I was always pinging you all year long about the Pirates prospects. You got to see some really, really impactful guys, uh, guys that are well up at the top of this list and everywhere in between this year. I think the timing was really good this past year in 2022, and uh, I know this is one that you've had circled on the calendar for you, so I'm excited to break it down. Yeah, this was my World's Collide episode that I was ready to happen, right? And, you know, I, I spend however many hours in a given summer talking about Pirates prospects, and I spend however many hours in a given year talking about everybody else's prospects. So when I can do the same homework for one thing, I'm all the way in on that. So, yeah, we're good. And the interesting part about the Pirates system is because the proximity is as good as it's ever been. Like we're talking about so many guys that are double A, triple A guys. There are a couple in low A that we'll talk about, but you know, some systems like they're they're pretty spread out. They've got, you know, two of their top 10 in triple A, two of their top 10 in double, two of their top 10 in high A, and three of their top 10 uh, in low A with one of the complex. You know, that's not the Pirates right now. A lot of their guys, like you could argue that eight of their top 10 could be in triple A this year and the other two might be in low A. So there's some real spread out right now. Um, But I think Pirates fans should start to get excited about who they might be able to see at PNC Park this year. Absolutely. And I know this is something that, you know, you are excited about in terms of just some of the guys that you got to see last year and some of the guys that you might see this year as well. Um, It's a little bittersweet because I think for us, we're always rooting for these guys to get up to the big leagues whenever we think they're ready. But at the same point, you know, for those who might be joining the show uh, that haven't listened in the past, that might not know your background. You're, you're the AAA, one of the AAA broadcasters for uh, the Indianapolis Indians, the Pirates affiliate. So obviously you want to see good talent too, right? You don't want a bunch of quadruple A guys. And so it's almost 
I don't know how you look at it, either a win-win or a double-edged sword because you want to see the guys get caught up, but you also want to be able to call some games with some of these studs. I think a perfect example is going to be Andy Rodriguez when we get to him and some of these other dudes. It's going to be really interesting to see where they're assigned and how things are handled, and that's something that we're going to talk about a lot with this system because, as you mentioned, a lot of players who are probably close to big league ready, a lot of guys who played a ton in double A but are still kind of teetering on the edge of being ready for triple A. So we're going to try to hammer down some of these assignments as well. A lot of names to watch, and a lot of those names to watch are guys that I know you already saw or will see this coming season. And I would say that this system – is is solid it's got some good talent but i think it could head one way or another this year before we jump into the you know exact breakdown of all of the prospects i think there's a lot of potential here but there's a lot of volatility right and we'll get to each of the individual players but if a nick gonzalez doesn't make the leap if a henry davis kind of keeps on that i wouldn't say downward trend but We'll get more on it in terms of just some of the concern. Uh, if Quinn Priester kind of stays stagnant here, like all of a sudden the system really needs a Tamar Johnson breakout. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this system trends going into this year because there's a lot of guys who are top 100 caliber talents who are finding themselves trending out of the top 100. Right. And that's the word there, talent. Like this is one of the more talented systems in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, does that translate to polish? I don't think so. Right. And, and these guys are trying to find that polish. They're trying to become true ball players, But you see the talent in each of these guys. I mean, they're incredibly toolsy. Everybody that we're going to talk about, except for maybe Priester, like he might be the most polished of the bunch. And he's still got polish that he's got to hammer out here. Um, and, and then the last thing, like tying a bow on it, almost being a double edged sword. I will tell you this. I experienced the roller coaster of O'Neill Cruz's two months in double A and O'Neill stunk for the first month. He was great for the second month and he got called up at the end of the second month. I much prefer watching him be great and get called up as opposed to stinking because you've got, you know, a, a guy that is considered a top 20 prospect in baseball. You want to see him at his best because you want to say, I saw this guy when, um, when you see a guy that's supposed to be a 300 hitter hitting 200, it's not that fun. So I will say that it's rewarding to see these guys go up. Of course, of course. So let's dive into some of these names. We'll start with the honorable mentions as always, or you know, the other names to watch, as we like to call it. We'll fly through that. And then Jack will fill in on any of the names that you know he also wants to hit on. Of course, with some sort of it never seems to fail every single time with the honorable mentions. There's a couple names that give me a hard time and we're going to just get it right out of the way. We're going to rip the bandaid off with Sung Che Chang. I think I got that one right. He's a shortstop. Yeah, I think that was close enough. Middle infielder. Interesting. He's five, seven. He's definitely not going to hit for much power, but he was signed for three hundred and eighty thousand dollars out of was it Chinese Taipei? Is that where they picked Uh, him up from? Taiwan. Yeah, Taiwan. Okay, Taiwan compact with with. Really good contact skills. It was fun to watch him hit. The video was interesting. Short levers, very punchy swing. Uh, is going to make a ton of contact. He's a good athlete. And I think he can hit it just hard enough uh, to, to carve out an everyday role if, if he does continue to, to progress the way that he might be able to. He could be similar to what they were hoping to get out of some of those other middle infield prospects that you know are probably utility guys but could end up carving out a pretty nice role at the big league level. Another yeah. really tough one because we want to we want to keep it difficult is Carmen Moldzinski. Oh, I tried my best. It's the two no, hardest. I just read it. Out. I didn't. 
I didn't yeah. hear it. Yeah. But <laughs> 31st overall pick in 2020. I, I saw this guy throwing the cape a little bit. I, I think he's got some good stuff. It's a really good changeup. It's a mid-90s fastball. Sliders are okay. But the three-pitch mix could make him a five-starter. Worst-case scenario, I think we could see a nice little swing man here. Uh, next guy, Cannon Smith and Jigba. Another really solid minor leaguer who's just put up good numbers, but a wrist injury cut his season short last year after I was excited to see what he was going to do at the big league level because he was showing out in AAA. Not much power, and I think that's the big question. Only one home run in 52 games with you guys over there in AAA. But he mm. hits the ball hard, and that's the confusing part. 106.8 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velo, but everything is on the ground. There's a chance for, for power here, at least average or better, but he's got to be able to hit the ball in the air. That said, good athlete for his size, can play both corners, can throw him in center in an absolute pinch, but I like the bat-to-ball skills. Matt Gorski, a guy that you were kind of uh, snubbed from being able to see, unfortunately had an injury as he came up to triple. You got to see a couple games, right? But Gorski had a phenomenal year, all things considered. He swings and misses a little bit, uh, but I I thought he hedged that at least a little bit last year with his walks. Really can hit the ball hard. Sneaky athlete, 24 homers, 20 bags in 81 games. Yes, he struck out 28.6% of the time, but I would argue that there's some pretty intriguing tools here, and he hits the ball just enough to – you know, make you follow and see what he can do. few more guys before before I let you fill in, Jack. Kyle Nicholas acquired in the Jacob Stallings deal. I think a pretty intriguing arm. Uh, power guy. Fastball is going to overpower you when he, when he really runs it up when the arm's right. And the breaking ball is sharp. Hasn't had the feel for the changeup, but we'll see if that ever develops. Probably more of a reliever long term. Michael Kennedy, left-hander, complex guy. Uh, second round pick signed for a million dollars in the 2022 draft to sign him away from LSU really polished lefty with three pitches for a strike fastball has good shape to it slurvy slider that I think has some good potential and already a decent feel for the changeup. I like this pick and I think this is a guy that, that should be fun to follow Dario Lopez infielder got some juice man this is a name to, to watch. I know a lot of Pirates fans have him tabbed as a breakout prospect, potentially 21 years old. He's really aggressive, above 30% chase rates, but he does have a pretty smooth swing and sneaky power that I think could be close to plus 19 home runs, slugged 476 last year, needs to calm down the approach. And then the last name to watch, Lonnie White, phenomenal athlete, was committed to play Football and baseball at Penn State signed away with $1.5 million. He's a three-sport standout. Injuries have kept him from progressing past the complex the last two years. But this guy, 70 runner, I think he's got above-average power. I'm interested to see how the hit tool translates. But, man, he could be really good. Yeah, I'm going to work top-down. Lonnie White, he is one of two guys that are mentioned in this article that were going to be football, baseball guys at high level institutions. Bubba Chandler was going to Clemson to play football and baseball. Lonnie White was going to Penn State to play football and baseball. They have a type and it's really freaking good athlete. I'm actually going to jump all the way to the bottom because they also have a type there and it's Asian bats like Pirates are really good in Asia, and they have been for a minute. You know, they were the team that went after Young Ho Gung, who before shit hit the fan with Young Ho Gung, like he was, you know, decent for them. Um, they also have Jiwon Bay, who factors in, and we'll talk about in a minute. They just signed that, um, you know, best player in Korea, Jun Suk Shim. Uh, and then they've also got, you know, Po Yu Chen, who's there. They, they've got a couple other guys. Like they attack South mm-hmm. Korea, Taiwan. Um, and, and places like that. So really impressive on their end. Kanan Smith and Jigba, 
if his younger brother Jackson is a wide receiver, Kanan is a linebacker. Uh, yeah. He is built like a tank. He moves like a like an edge guy. Like he moves yeah. pretty well for the mm-hmm. build that he has. Um, also, great dude, like makeup through the charts. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it feels like if he keeps hitting the ball on the ground, he might be capped a little bit there. But I, I think that he can overcome that. He's good enough of an athlete to make that change if he feels the need to make that change. Matt Gorski, a guy I saw only a couple innings of in AAA. Yeah. It was, it was a couple of innings, damn. Yeah, it I mean, was it a couple was innings. Like, he, he aggravated that quad issue that he was dealing with in double um, in his first game in triple. And he's from Indianapolis. He's from Fishers, Indiana, went to Hamilton Southeastern, and he played at IU. That guy in high school was a baseball soccer guy. He was all state in baseball and soccer. So that tells you another really good athlete here and a guy that's mobile. If you're hitting that many homers, what? Yeah, I said he can motor 20 bags in 81 games for his size is pretty remarkable. He even played some games in center. I mean, think about it. He was a 24-20 guy, right? Like, So if you can slug that much and you've got a soccer background, I feel really good about you as an athlete. And then I I think that's it for this one. Kyle Nicholas, Ball State Cardinal, chirp, chirp. Excited to see him uh, in Indy this year. And Jared Jones, I might have skipped over him. Jones, I I really – and if I didn't, I just want to mention one more thing with Jones. He's probably one of my favorite breakout guys outside of the top 15. Fastball 95 to 97 with good shape. Slider is pretty nasty as well. No feel for the changeup yet, but he's 21 years old. This is a a high school guy. The ERA numbers are a little inflated, but he's got good whiff numbers, good good data on his pitches. This is a name to follow. I think he could be a pretty solid arm for them in this system. Now it's time for the top 15 prospects, right? We always do the next five because I always think the guys outside the top 10 are are pretty interchangeable. And we'll, we'll, we'll go from the article that if you're watching on YouTube that we're following along, we'll go all the way up. I will say Jiwon Bay was was number 11, though. That was a guy that I was trying to force into the top 10. I just struggled to do so. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I'll start with Hunter Barco, who just slides into the 15 spot. He could have probably been interchanged with, with Lonnie White, but Lonnie White's injuries over the last year or so kind of held him out. Barco coming back from Tommy John surgery. I, I just really like Barco's floor, which to me is – at least like what you're getting from AJ Puck now, which is going to come out of the bullpen and just be nasty with the fastball breaking ball combination. I say Puck because Puck went to Florida. Maybe the fastball won't be as electric, but Barco seems like the perfect candidate to come back from Tommy John. And that low 90s fastball is now 94, 96, right? It wasn't anything like any other arm issues we've really seen. It was elbow soreness, boom, Tommy John. It seems like it was, let's get it done now instead of prolonging this into the future. And, And he got it done early in that season. In that season at UF, he was gross, man. He was putting up really good numbers. He struck out 69 and 50 and a thirds. I like Barco a lot. I know you like your college lefties, Jack. Yeah, and and I like the the puck comp because the delivery is very puck-esque when A.J. Puck was at Florida because it's big guy, lanky guy that works cross-body, like low three-quarters, almost somewhere between low three-quarters and sidearm with the delivery, and everything just sweeps. And the fastball with its natural tail will start to drop a little bit vertically. The slider plays really well. It's like that sail-esque movement, right, where you're throwing it from right field and it's ending up on the back foot of a right-handed bat. So Barco, if he is healthy, he's got stuff that is very advanced. Mm -hmm. Um, Problem is he's not healthy right now. We'll see what he looks like when he comes back. Absolutely. And and this is a guy that if he was healthy last year, man, with how he was looking to to start the year, would you be surprised if he was a 
top 15 pick? No, not at all. Not yeah. at all. I mean, that guy was what he was being talked about about as like best pitcher in America, right? At the beginning yeah. of this year. And then Dolander mm-hmm. kind of overtook him. Absolutely. Here's a name that I'm actually really excited for you to see because I think he might be one of the most underrated players in the system. It's Jared Triolo. I put utility because he played all over, uh, but probably played the most third base. He is really polished, spent most of last year, if not all of last year, in double A. But he is a great bat-to-ball guy, 87% zone contact. He played third. He played center. He played short. Sneaky athlete. He's not going to fly. He's probably a slightly above average runner, but he swept 24 bags. And once you get to double A, I'll take those bags a lot more seriously, right? So I think there's a guy that's going to be able to, to mix that into his game at the highest level and just enough power to go with the hit tool where I say, okay, this guy could be a doubles machine. Over a 102 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit VLO is just above average. And with the 87% zone contact, which is fantastic, and the obvious counting stats looking really good, his strikeout rate not far away from his walk rate, which is always really good too. This guy's going to be a big leaguer in some capacity. It's whether he's more of a bench guy or a regular. And I think if he has the year that I think he could have in AAA, he might be fighting with Jiwon Bay for that super utility role for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the future because I do think Triolo can play. Yeah, I think so. I think Bay is better. Like I think Bay has better tools than Triolo does. But Triolo's baseline is like incredibly high and everybody needs an incredibly high baseline here. Triolo figures it out, whether it's with the Pirates or somewhere else, he figures out a way to stick on a major league roster for five to 10 years. Like that's who Triolo is. Um, Obviously the Pirates would like to see more pop. I think nine homers needs to get better. Um, Or the stolen base numbers need to continue to climb. You mentioned 24 for 29 in the stolen base department. If he's, hitting fewer than 10 homers, you got to be north of 30, I think. In that Especially way. in Altoona. You know, you need a little bit more juice in Altoona, right? I mean, that's yeah, a place like where the, ball flies there. Ball flies there. So that's definitely something to watch. And, and Bay's more dynamic, which is why I said he was just outside the top 10. But this is a nice guy to have in your system who, again, like we both said, has a good shot to be a big leaguer in some capacity. For sure. Another, another guy who I think is going to carve out a big league role, uh, but it's going to be harder for him to grab onto a spot. He's going to really have to hit is Malcolm Nunez. And I know he played third base. He's technically listed as a third baseman, but we have him at first base slash DH. He's not going to play third at the highest level. Uh, he was acquired from the, from the Cardinals by the pirates in that Jose Quintana trade, excuse me. And Nunez, like you look at him, you figure, Oh, it's that positionless Jacenti Noel type of mold where it's, all power, no hit, you know, hope that he can hit enough. It's not really like that on the offensive side. He's a better hitter than I think a lot of people may think when they look at at what he kind of the way he presents himself because he looks like a thumper, right? A, a first base DH thumper, and he is. But the power isn't quite to the level of Noel of the Guardians, but the hit tool is, is way better. His approach is way better. Only a 21% strikeout rate, 14% yeah. walk rate. He launched 23 home runs last season. I really like the offensive profile. I think it's really safe. And and he's a guy that at the very least should be a platoon masher at the big league level. The question is, you know, is he going to hit enough to anchor a first base, first base DH role at the big league level? That's really tough to do. Those jobs are very limited, right? It's, it's a tough industry to break into in yes. the baseball world. And I will say, though, I really like Nunez's bat, and I think he's going to find a way to make himself – relevant on a big league team i just don't know if he can hold on to every day at bats he's gonna have to really really hit i don't think it's impossible if the glove was serviceable at third base 
I think we'd be talking about this guy as a fringe top 10 prospect, but he was clearly outside the top 10 because he doesn't have a defensive home. It's really hard to carve out that DH role, like you're saying. Um, But what impressed me the most with him was he's not just a power bat. Like Moises Gomez. um, Yeah, that's another example. Another perfect example. Yeah. Right. Like he's not just a power bat. You know, you see these gaudy home run numbers and it's like, oh, damn. Okay. Um, And then you see the strikeout totals are relatively low. And and then you watch these guys and you're like, wow, you've got a really good feel to hit for somebody with that much power. So if you have that, you can circumvent most defensive issues but if you actually have no defensive home you might be a little screwed i'm excited to get malcolm nunez for a couple months if not the entire year and see what he looks like defensively that's going to answer a lot of questions for me and indy this year he's young too so i mean that's the thing too he's 21 years old in double a so and he wasn't 40 man protected he could have gone in the rule five he's obviously not major league ready so he didn't go in the rule five so I'm very. I think this is a guy that could really send his stock one way or another. Maybe he goes out in the right field and can just hold his own, like just just be competent out there. And all of a sudden, now profile looks a little bit different. So we'll see what they decide to do with him next year or this coming season. And I will say though, the bats can afford him some opportunities, especially with the high floor. You know, bats of ball skills, like you mentioned. Yeah. Another guy that we haven't seen much of before we get to G1 Bay uh, is Thomas Harrington. He was. Recently selected as the highest drafted pitcher in Campbell history as he was taken, what was it, 36th overall? Can you pull that up real quick? I I didn't have it written down in front of me, but he caught the attention of of scouts by pretty much dominating the Big South for Campbell and and really rising to the occasion against some of the big higher level competition that he faced, power five type of of matchups that they had. Uh, But he really fits the bill of a lot of the pitchers that they look for. He's athletic. He's got a good feel for three pitches, and, and I think he's going to be a high four guy. He pounds the strike zone. The fastball velo is a little sporadic. We've seen him in the low 90s. We've seen him as high as 96. That's something to monitor, but the shape is good. The stuff is pretty good, and he's just a loose, good athlete on the mound. There's a reason why they took Harrington high, and he dethroned Seth Johnson as the highest drafted pitcher in Campbell history. Yeah, so 36th overall this Let's past go. year, and um, great job, Arm. Great job. Uh, 15 starts. I mean, the guy was punching out 11 guys per nine and he was walking fewer than two. 92 and two thirds innings, 111 punch outs, 18 walks. So that's another guy, strikeout artist in a low major conference um, and not walking anybody. So he got away with what his stuff was. Now the question becomes, how good is the stuff? Like, what level can you survive by doing that? What level do you have to start making changes? Exactly. And and that's why that's what keeps him out of the top 10. Baseball America had him in the top 10. I, I just got to see it a little bit more. I just don't have enough of a sample size to dethrone some of the other guys that I was able to get a little bit more on and see more of. But Harrington, a name to watch who could force his way into the top 10. Another guy that will probably graduate before he gets a chance to do that is Jiwon Bay. And he rounds out this outside of the top 10, right? 11 to 15th ranked prospects. Bay, I put him as a utility guy because he played center. He played third, second, he basically played every single position on the field last year. And even at the big league level in limited action, he saw three different positions. Uh, I I think his long-term home, and I'm interested to see what you think, could be center field. And I think that's something where his plus speed can really translate. But he's a stolen base machine. 
33 for 41 last year. Uh, and, and I think this is somebody that's going to be 30, 25 to 30 stolen bases annually. He hits the ball pretty hard, too. This is He's not a slap hitter. I want that to be clear. 103.4 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velo. He can spray it all over the field. I think he's got 15 home run pop with a good field to hit, with positional versatility, with really good speed. He seems like the perfect super utility guy. There's no weakness. That That's my thing about G1 Bay. Like, there's no weakness in his game. Um, yeah, center field could be his home. I think second base could also be his home. He played some short. I'm not sure if he's a shortstop. He played some left. I'm not sure if he's a left fielder. He said left um, is is the toughest position for him to play because he has he, just he, – He said that? Yeah, he did. He did say left was the toughest position for him to play. He said that to me, um, wow. but it was no. it was on the record. So there we go. G one. What, what, what was the reasoning? Just the way the ball spin. came out the back. It's uh, it's tough with spin. Yeah, it's tough with uh-huh. the way the ball spins and kind of carries him certain places. But center field. I mean, that guy had innate feel out the ass. He was so impressive in that regard. And then second base. I mean, the guy's got range for days because he's so ridiculously fast. I also asked him what his favorite position to play was, and he told me DH. So uh, <laughs> he might be a DH. It's a pretty good answer, right? Yeah, that's that's the biggest waste. That would be the biggest waste of athleticism of all time, putting that guy at DH because he can really motor. But that, that's cool because I, I don't remember you mentioning that to me, but it makes sense. I've talked to some guys about that, even from left to right, how it just feels different for them. And if you're used to something, you're used to something. I will say this, though. I'd rather him be comfortable in center than left. And it's a, it's good to hear that he's more comfortable in center reading it off the bat than left field. Because ultimately, I mean, that's where you want him. And if you don't want him in center, probably just stick him at second. Sticking this guy in a corner outfield spot would be a waste of elite athleticism. I agree. I agree 100%. I'd rather see him make plays up the middle, whether it be in the infield or you know, of course, in center field. But that is a nice, interesting tidbit, which is why I love talking Pirates prospects with somebody like you. Uh, and excited yeah, to, to see, you know, what, what you have on, on some of these other guys because you get to see them in the outfield a lot more from better angles than some of the cameras can give me or some of the things that I'll be able to see in limited action. So very interested for the G1 Bay center field report as, as he continues to get more reps out there. But I assume he breaks camp, you think? Yeah, I, I think so. He's got to be. I think that he's the opening day second baseman. I know you think he's the opening day second baseman over Rodolfo Castro, but he if he's be. not, then he's on the bench and he's the super utility guy. Yeah, yeah. So you may have seen the last of G1 Bay, but I know you enjoyed him in triple. Oh, I love We'll go into the top 10 now. Starts with Anthony Solomito, who I know is a lot of Pirates fans' favorite and potential breakout guy for next year. Solomito is really talented, really intriguing, really unique. Um, Showed well in limited action around 47, 50 innings in low A last year, but a 6'5 lefty who throws reminiscent to Madison Bumgarner the way that he closes his body, sticks his arm all the way back, looks like he's reaching as far back as possible, and then it almost all unfolds on you. The glove flies in the air, and his arm slingshots around, and even though he only operates 89 to 91, he topped at 93.6 miles per hour last year, he's got a four-seamer, he's got a sinker, and it just gets on you quick with the way that he slingshots the baseball from that arm slot, and he was able to really dice guys up with the fastball. His best out pitch is a slider. And that pitch, while it wasn't consistent for him, at times was just gross. With that high three-quarters arm slot, the way he hides the ball, it would just dart across the zone, either get lefties waving at it, 
back leg righties, and then he'll mix in a changeup, which is far off right now. Uh, but he showed really well, I think, in his low A debut. I'm really interested to see if he can continue to repeat that delivery at higher levels and to see you know, how he continues to get more out of his stuff because he's going to have to be better than 89 to 91, even if it's closer to 90, 90 to 92. He's got to be a tick higher than that. But if he does get a tick higher than that, is a name to follow. Yeah, definitely a name to follow. He is almost, when I watch his mechanics, I think Chris Bassett with more east to west movement. Like Bassett, he's got everything flying everywhere, and then somehow he gets online. But sometimes Chris Bassett doesn't get online and starts to get away from him. So Lomito, like that's the worry, right? If he yeah. gets extended and he gets tired, he didn't have an opportunity to get tired. You mentioned that he threw 47 innings this year. Yeah. We have not seen a fatigued Anthony Solomito yet. You know what I mean? And yeah. that type of delivery is the one that falls apart when a guy's fatigued. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, there was I took some freeze frames I was sending you before we started recording of just like it, it seems like a really tough delivery to repeat, especially across your arsenal, right? Because this is somebody that could be easy to to pick up the difference in release points too, right? If if his slider is a little bit lower than where he re- releases his fastball, even though he he hides the ball well. These are little things that are going to be able to be picked up on. And, and I do have my concerns as to whether he can repeat this delivery over the course of a long start, like you mentioned, as he's fatigued over the course of a season, just in general, as, as baseball is all about sports in general are about repeating moves, right? This is a really hard move to repeat. He could do it. We've seen guys repeat crazier um, and he is a good athlete. So name to name to watch. I just think, that a lot of people are looking at it like all he needs is velo and he's there. Velo will put him in a really good spot, but we we need to make sure that this guy can actually repeat this delivery and be stretched out a bit more. That said, couldn't have asked for a much better debut. I think he did everything that you could have asked for for a high school guy getting straight into low A ball. I thought he did a phenomenal job. Yeah, right now he's absolutely on the right track with everything. Brings us to number nine. And it was tough for me to kind of peg these two guys because this is a player that really frustrates me. I'll be honest, because it's it's a lot of talent being left on the table right now. And it's Leover Paguero, shortstop, who is somehow still 22 years old and just turned 22 years old. Um, yeah. But, man, this guy's got crazy tools, really good tools. I'm talking, you know, average to above average hit tool, above average power, plus speed and staying power at short. So you hear that and you're like, why is this guy ranked ninth then and in like a pretty good system? Well, it's because in every aspect of his game, right, he has a potential to be an everyday shortstop, yet the fundamentals are what hold him back. He has a potential to be an above average hitter, yet approach holds him back. And those are the two things that really frustrate me, right? Throwing errors were brutal for him. He has an above average arm, no accuracy, and he's got crazy range, but his actions were inconsistent at the plate. This guy's got a good feel to hit, and he's posted exit velos as high as 112 miles an hour, but he swings at everything. A, a 32% chase rate. Uh, it's salvaging his hitter's counts. I mean, there were some at-bats where, like, I know this already happened months ago, and I'm, I'm watching it, and I'm like, what are you swinging at? It's 2-0, and oh, and he's you know chasing a changeup down and away. Pitchers in AA knew the report on this guy. It was, don't give in to him, even in the hitter's counts, because he'll give himself up. And so – I think it was impressive that he put together even a half decent season offensively, given how bad the approach was, but he is so talented. He could be an everyday shortstop and an an above average one, but his range of outcomes have become so wide because of his 
you know, bad habits on both sides of the ball that it's really hard for me to, to put this guy any higher on the top 10. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. And I like that as he's physically maturing, he's tapping into a bit more power to hedge the swing and miss. But this guy shouldn't have any swing and miss. Like he's he's too good of a hitter to have this much swing and miss. Um, he also doesn't do his himself favors. You mentioned he chases all the time. Obviously, that limits walks. Yeah. But this year, more than any other stop in his career since rookie ball in 2018, no matter how long, could have been a game. He has never, ever, ever had a lower walk rate than what he had in double A this year. I mean, hell, he made his major league debut for a game and he walked. So he had a 25 percent <laughs> walk rate. So like you're looking at a guy with a five and a half percent walk rate that's swinging at everything that is taking the bat out of his hands because he's making poor decisions. Um, I was expecting to see him in Indy. We didn't see him in Indy. And I think a lot of people were, um, you know, questioning why. That's exactly why. I mean, the, the decision-making needs to be better for how talented that guy is. I can tell if any fan or any listener or you know any Pirates fan, anybody asks you why, I have 10 videos saved that I can just send over to you as to why Leo Verpiguero spent the whole year in double A. And I, again, it was it's just so frustrating because he's so talented. And again, he just turned 22. He's 21 years old in double A. But – this is a top 100 talent. Like I want to be clear here. In terms of sheer talent, he should be a top 100 prospect. That's why he has been in the past. But he is holding himself back here. So very interested to see how he bounces back because 22 years old, If he, rep- I think he should repeat double A. I really do. Like, I don't know I if they like will. I would like to see Piguero in Indy. I would like to see it just because I, I think that we've talked about it. Like The stuff in AAA may not be That's as fair. good as the stuff in double A. Um, and guys are just better strike throwers at that level. So there's a chance that he actually sees more pitches to hit in AAA, but these guys are reading the reports. I mean, they're not throwing him anything too good. That's the thing, and he just doesn't get his A swing off enough. I mean, this is a guy that puts up 112s in terms of the exit velocity department, and we just don't see him getting off that swing nearly enough. But all that said, tools to stay at shortstop, tools to be a a solid offensive hitter, like a 20-home run guy that – has enough bat-to-ball skills to be a 270 hitter, even if he doesn't walk a ton. Let's see if he can put it together this year because Piguero is is a really talented prospect and probably one of the most talented guys you're going to find in the back half of a top 10, uh, but just holding himself back a little bit. Yeah. Number eight, this is somebody that I really, really fell in love with as I got to watch him pitch more and got to, to see some of the data on his stuff. Bubba Chandler, and I know he's technically a two-way player, uh, but I have him as a pitcher, and that's it. And we're not really going to waste your time on an offensive outlook. I will say, you know, he's he's a great athlete and, and a testament to the fact that he's even able to, you know, battle up there. I think he had a few good games and, and swung it all right, but overall that his numbers offensively weren't great. But Bubba Chandler was committed to, to play football and baseball at Clemson. He's a switch hitter who also would have pitched and switch hit and played quarterback potentially down the line at Clemson as well. He might have saw action with the way DJ Uyagalale was playing. So, <laughs> like it, this, he was a four-star quarterback. This guy is yeah. is just like the man. Like it's it's amazing how talented he is. And then you see him now just just on the mound, something that he hasn't focused on, and I would say technically even at this point hasn't completely focused on because he's still trying to hit. Forget the two swings and just pitch because if he just pitches, this guy could be a really good starting pitcher. 55 present on the fastball. I have 70 future. And the reason why it's that big of a disparity is just purely command 
And I think that he's got a lot more in the tank velo wise. And he still sits 95 to 97. I think he's going to be a triple digits guy. I really do. It's nearly 20 inches of induced vertical break. So high velo, high ride to it as well. And this guy is a sick athlete with crazy arm speed. It's effortless. The, the command isn't there yet, which is interesting because, Jack, you look at that guy's delivery, and I know you're going to say, hey, it looks pretty good. Like, I know you're going to like the delivery. So the thing for me is just I think it's just a little bit of trying to do too much because he's just a young, raw pitcher. Changeup is already flashing plus. So you got a guy with, with a data-darling fastball and a changeup flashing plus. That's always a perfect mix. Slider has a chance to be above average. we got a three-pitch mix here. All we're missing is command. I don't have any gripes with his delivery. It's really just about finding the consistency here. This guy could be one of the biggest, you know, I think breakout prospects or could have as much helium as anybody in this whole system. Yeah. Well, first of all, it was Cade Klubnik's team. It, it was not <laughs> going to be Bubba Chandler. I was forgetting right? the name. I think he could have dethroned Klubnik. God, I don't know about that. Um, Bubba Chandler, I think, is a perfect example of trying to stuff you up, like just trying to outstuff hitters when he's on the hill. Because, again, like the fastball you mentioned, data darling fastball, good changeup. Those two play off each other really well. Anybody that has a fastball changeup combo knows that those two play off each other really well. So how do you not feel the confidence to to pound the zone? It's when you feel like your stuff is just so good and you want to be picture perfect with that stuff and not letting yourself trust that stuff. Um, I, I think that he was trying to do too much on the mound and that resulted in the command issues. But when he was finding the strike zone, like guys weren't doing anything with it. I mean, he dominated at the complex. He got up to uh, low A and, you know, struggled a little bit, but that, you know, kind of dovetailed off the walks. Like walks lead to having to throw strikes, which leads to a couple of homers and, and some hard hit baseball. So I, I think this guy, as soon as he just acknowledges that he is going to be a really good athlete with really good stuff, he's going to try or he's not going to try to outstuff anybody anymore. I totally agree because he's going to realize like, hey, I can just almost slow and controlled spot this 96 mile an hour fastball at the top of the zone and then throw this changeup, which he already has a good feel for that just dives out and you're going to get crazy bad swings without trying to do too much. And what impressed me is it's pretty funny. You mentioned like trying to outstuff guys. Can you believe that the changeup was actually the pitch that he landed for a strike more last year? And what does that kind of tell you, Jack? Like the fact that, the fastball, which is a pitch that most guys command the best, was actually a bit more sporadic than the changeup. He landed the changeup for a strike, and it's a small sample size, but 75% of the time versus the fastball around 62% of the time. What, what does that tell you? It says he's thinking too much when he's throwing the fastball. He's trying, yeah, to, like, trying to do too much. Almost, he's trying to almost increase the RPMs. He's trying to feel yeah. the feel the 2,500 RPMs off yeah. of his index and middle finger. Like you don't need to do that. Like just throw your fastball. That's already really good when you're not thinking twice about it. So don't think twice about the fastball anymore. I think the changeup was the one that he was like, okay, I know this is good. I'm just going to roll with it. It's a finesse. Fastball was, yeah. Like the fastball was the one where he was like, this is my chance to bunker down and show somebody what I'm made of. And he just rips yeah. it. Yeah, so I, I think he's going to figure that out this year, and, and I think he's going to be a problem. I really do. I think he's going to he's going to be nasty, and hopefully, you know, I, I'm sure he loves hitting. I, I think that he's got to focus on the mound because that's where he's going to be an impactful big leaguer. Staying on the mound, number seven is Mike Burrows, somebody that you get to see a little bit of last year. Burrows 
again, another really good fastball, man. This is one of the best fastballs in the system uh, and one of the better fastballs in the minors, I would say, in terms of shape, in terms of, I would say, better fastballs outside the top 100 in terms of shape and in terms of life. Uh, curveball is a hammer. Changeup flashes average are better. And the command continued to get better. This is a really good three-pitch mix, and he just kind of screams back end of the rotation who's going to flash you a bit more. I think we see Burroughs in the big leagues this year. And as an underslot – or excuse me, an overslot 11th rounder signed for 500K uh, back in 2018, this looks really good. This is a scouting success for the Pirates and a guy that has progressed really well. ERA a little bit inflated because for whatever reason they made him you – know, they had him come back and throw – at the end of the year, and he had a disaster start. Uh, so weird. I, I know you were really impressed with Burroughs. Yeah, and I was really upset that they did that to him um, because they didn't need to do that to him. They like, if it was a shoulder thing that was going on with Burroughs, why the hell would you force him back in for one more start? Made no sense, yeah. and he got absolutely blown up in Columbus, and that was that. Um, Burroughs, I actually think that Burroughs has a higher ceiling than than Quinn Priester does just because of how good the fastball is and the stuff that plays off of it. And everything that gets Pirates fans excited about Rowanzi Contreras, Mike Burroughs is almost a subdued Rowanzi Contreras when we talk about the stuff. Yeah. yeah. The, the one problem that Burroughs was running into at the AAA level was he would lull into a pattern of fastball curveball to righty bats, fastball change up to lefty bats. So the thing that can unlock Burroughs and turn him into a three at the major league level is trusting the changeup against righty bats and trusting the curveball against lefty bats. Obviously, that takes some in-game trial and error. Um, but the fastball is so good. I think the curveball is aesthetically beautiful, and I think he snaps it off really well. And I think the changeup was much, much, much improved uh, this year as the year went on. 100%. And I think the big thing, too, is, is that – the way that you mentioned it, the way the fastball sets up the rest of the arsenal is pretty exciting, right? And that's something that I, you just don't – it's hard to teach that kind of fastball setting up everything else. And especially when you have you know, what, what Burroughs has with the feel for the curveball and the changeup. I think the changeup is a really underrated pitch for him. He landed it for a strike a ton. The curveball almost breaks too much sometimes, which is the interesting side of it where it almost bites out of the zone and guys are just leaving it. But if he can locate the fastball bottom of the zone and top of the zone, he's going to be a problem. And I think that was something that got him into trouble a little bit too. You talk about lulling into patterns. I think sometimes just almost feeling like he could throw the fastball at any part of the zone. And, and he started to get burned a little bit more on it. If he locates it, it's still got so much life that guys are not really going to hit that thing. So I'm excited to see, you know, kind of how he continues to develop that three pitch mix. You think he starts in triple obviously, but yeah. how soon can we see him at the big league level? I, I think quicker than Priester. I, yeah, I do believe quicker sure. than Priester. Like if he looks right, when he was right, he was 95 to 97 with that fastball. Um, I mean, if he's 95 to 97 and he's snapping that curveball off, um, like if the stuff looks crisp and nothing happened at the end of the year, I think that this guy is, you know, immediately better than some of the options that they're going to be running out. <clears throat> Vince Velasquez. <laughs> Absolutely. Although he did get a hype video, dude. So that was um, a sick hype video. Um, sick hype Rich video. Hills was a little bit better. McCutcheons was the best. Oh, absolutely. Can't wait to see that guy in Pittsburgh again. Number six, Nick Gonzalez, who, man, I, I, I was worried that I might even drop him further than this. But 
Diving into it, I have enough hope here in Nikki G. And this is somebody that I've, you know, loved as a prospect since I saw him on the Cape win, win Cape MVP. And, and this is a guy that makes hitting look easy. It's a guy who works his butt off, high-end makeup, great instincts, really good swing. He seemed like a shoe-in as a, as a plus hit tool. But all of a sudden, we're hoping for like an average or above average hit tool because secondary stuff has given him nightmares. He hits velo really well. But what I see from a guy like Nick Gonzalez is someone that's always relied on ridiculous hands and a super short swing that the body has never really been much of, of an issue for him. He's just kind of relied on natural ability to hit. Now you're at the, the, the professional level, double A specifically, and every millisecond is a blessing, right? And you're trying to get your timing down. And I saw a hitter that was really rushed. I saw him in person in the fall, in the fall league. And then I saw him a little bit, you know, just looking at video from double A as well. And, He's a guy that I felt like was okay with the velo, kind of going out to get it a little bit. His path is very in and out of the zone, and he's very spinny, meaning that he's leaving the ball front side a little bit, causes that bat to go in and out. So it's okay when he catches a fastball, but when you get a slider or a changeup, it's all about having the barrel in the zone as long as possible so that even when you launch early, you're still in the back hip enough, you still have the barrel in the zone long enough where you can still catch this baseball. The amount of times where he spun off and chopped one in the ground or swung over it or swung over it and landed on his knee. Like this was a guy that that looked out of sorts body control wise on secondaries. And I've never really seen that before. It could be a timing cue that could fix it all. But the ba- the barrel needs to stay in the zone longer. It's a very in and out swing. All that considered, Jack, his numbers were still pretty good last year. And he's battled a lot of injuries. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, this guy is just so obviously thrown off by injury. Like, that's what I saw, at least, when I was watching here. I was like, something's not right, whether it's the timing. Like, this is not the Nick Gonzalez. This is not the Nick Gonzalez that we're going to see when when he eventually becomes a Pittsburgh Pirate. Like, we're not adjusting the goalposts on him yet. Now, if he does look like this again, we may need to view this as – the new normal for Nick Gonzalez, but I don't want to do that just yet because this was like such an anomaly. When I say it's an anomaly, there has been no stop in his baseball life that has looked like this. Have to assume he was great in high school. New Mexico State freshman year, OPS over 1,000. New Mexico State sophomore year, OPS at 1,300. Could to it going into junior year an 1100 OPS in 42 games, 16 games, his junior year at New Mexico state, he had an 1800 OPS. He had 12 homers in 16 games. And then Greensboro, 80 games in his first minor league season in 2021, a 950 OPS. He goes to the Arizona fall league, plays 20 games in the fall league, a 1000 OPS. This was the first time that we've seen Nick Gonzalez, not mash. So yeah. and he's still kind of hit. He still kind of hit like he was still an 820 OPS guy. We're talking about him like he was a 620 OPS guy, but it's an 820 OPS. So if this guy does get back to that 900, 950 OPS, I mean, everything's gone. Like everything that we're talking about right now is gone. So I, I feel like he should not be free falling right now. I, I think that 2023 is going to be a major bounce back. It's really just about the 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 – secondary stuff for him and i think how alarmingly bad he was against it has has a lot of evaluators and scouts worried i mean his in zone whiff like just talking about change-ups 57 56 zone contact on change-ups is one of the That's worst I've, I've seen 
And, and it's really just he looks so uncomfortable. And it doesn't I don't know if it's pitch wreck because he's not chasing them. That's the thing His chase rates are kind of low. And some of the write ups I've read, it's like, oh, he's just not recognizing him. I think he's recognizing him, which is the weird part. Like he's not expanding the zone that much. It just seems like the, the, the path is just not built to be able to accommodate when he's a little bit early. And again, he's very spinny. He's very heavy on the front foot. So I think he's one adjustment away with his body from kind of getting it to where he needs to be. The bat is so quick. The swing is so short. He crushes velo. He crushes fastballs. If he's passable against breaking balls, I think he's going to be fine. So very interested to see how he bounces back. But even if his bad year is an 820 OPS with still, yes, it was a lot of strikeouts. It was still below 30%. And the biggest thing, which I, I tweeted about, was if you take his final, once he came back from injury, his final spurt of double A and then spill it into the Arizona Fall League, which was weaker pitching, but even the final spurt of double A, strikeout rate was closer to, closer to the low 20s. So something to monitor there. With Nicky G, big fan of his, great guy, hard worker, and that's why I feel like he's going to find a way to make this work. Perfect. Number five, we got Henry Davis, number one overall pick in that 2021 MLB draft. And there's another guy, man, that is kind of falling a little bit. How do you feel about kind of where he is trending in this system? Because it's funny, this is another dude that's pretty much hit at every stop. Uh, there was questions about the the glove behind the dish, and I think he's he's progressed nicely in some ways. But at the end of the day, I mean, he is hit when he's on the field, has battled injuries, and you know maybe has had a little bit more swing and miss than people had hoped. Another dude that has some of the very similar problems I saw to Nick Gonzalez looked very rushed. He was more clear cut chasing, you know, cheating for the fastball. Really struggled against sliders, but still, this is a guy that just can really hit short swing, powerful bat, and just has naturally been able to put up numbers every single time that we check in on him and even put up solid numbers in the fall league. We'll see if he can continue to do it, you know, against more challenging competition. It's a bit of an unorthodox swing, but I mean, he has really just hit it every stop. Yeah. I mean, my thing is hurt. Like, right. He was just dealing with a, it was a wrist thing, right? Didn't he break mm-hmm. his wrist? It was some wrist thumb. Like he's had a little bit of everything. I mean, that screws a swing. Like if you're talking anywhere near the hand or wrist, like that just messes your swing up. So mm-hmm. I'm not ready to throw it out entirely, but I mean, I mean, this guy has played what? 67 minor league games in a year and a half. He was one, one at a Louisville in 2021. He played eight minor league games uh, in 21. And then he played 59 in 22. So there, there's no sample to work with here. And I think, two years removed from your selection with minimal sample to work with is why he's dropping. That's the only reason why he's dropping. Plus juice. I still think above average hit tool once he can kind of get the timing down. And again, I I do think that that wrist and hand issue could have been what was leading him to cheat a little bit. Right. And and feel like he had to get the barrel out there a little bit sooner causes you to, to be more aggressive and all of a sudden struggle against those, those hard sliders that you you, you can't differentiate until it's too late. I, I think he's get, eye too. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's always been good in that regard, but the, all of a sudden starts chasing more with the slider. And I, again, I think it really was trying to make that decision earlier. Less time to make the decision usually results in making the wrong decision, but also he's a guy that hasn't had that many ABs dating all the way back to his collegiate career, right? Cause it's 2020 and, and everything that's happened. And I really do feel like this guy has a great chance to ultimately hit his stride with a full season under his belt. Health is going to be the question, uh, but I think especially with the way the catcher position is trending, he's got a 70 arm. He's going to find a way to be a a good enough catcher back there. 
And then the bat really, I do think, is going to play with a combination of at least an average hit tool and plus raw power and a decent overall approach. Yep. Number four, Quinn Priester, right-hander, who every time I check, I expect him to be two years older than he is, but he's still extremely young. What did he just turn 22? I mean, Quinn Priester is still so young. Make up off the charts. That's why so many evaluators love him. Stuff is good, not great. But he's 6'3", 200 pounds. There's always a hope that he's going to add a little bit more velo. He had a nice year last year. Uh, struggled a bit once he reached triple, and I'm sure you can you can color that in a little bit. But Priester is a guy that has a pretty solid four-pitch mix. Changeup is the furthest away. That's pretty much a pitch and work, so I'd say good three-pitch mix. But the curveball is really, really nasty. Slider is solid. Fastball has gotten better because the, the four-seamer was brutal. He started to mix in a sinker now, which a lot of guys in the system are throwing or a two-seamer, and he was way better. So instead of having the dead zone fastball, which was getting crushed, started throwing that heavy fastball more, all of a sudden the dead zone fastball played up a little bit more because it would surprise guys, and he could get a lot more ground balls with this heavier fastball and keep the ball in the yard. That's why I'm excited about him going into next year. My biggest concern was the fastball, and now he's found a way to kind of circumvent that. I think Priester's going to be a really solid four starter maybe with a little bit of a chance to be a bit better yeah um i i like that he abandoned the fastball because there were times where you know i, I saw him throw a fastball and i think the lone home run that he gave up in triple a was on a fastball but you know even watching games in altoona like there were fastballs that looked dead zone and usually you don't know what a dead zone fastball is until you go to the data and you say oh that lands on the t-chart in the dead zone category like that's that's concerning data wise but you can't really see it yeah. with liberator like there are fastballs that just look like they're hanging there for a pitcher to send or for a hitter to send to the stratosphere and that's kind of the feel that Quinn Priester had on some of the fastballs that he was throwing so I'm really glad that he found that pitch to get away from that the curveball, might I say, is incredible. So, yep. so good. You've got 70 current, 70 future. I think that's right. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is one of the better swing and miss curveballs that I've ever seen from a prospect. So huge fan of that. If he can move to the sinker uh, and get rid of that fastball entirely, that's a major win. The, the, his issues in his two starts in AAA stemmed from command issues. And that stemmed from snowballing. Like he got a ball hit really hard against him or a nuke against him. And then all of a sudden you would nibble three hitters in a row. And, you know, that's a 21-year-old, 22-year-old yeah. tasting AAA for the first time. So totally. I, I think he's just got to get acclimated to whatever level that he's at. So what do you think opponents hit against his four-seamer last year? Like near 300. 323, 411, 512. It's a 923 yeah. OPS. But See, here's the like thing. That's best prospect in baseball if you have that slash line. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're nasty. But you're your Andy Rodriguez, basically. Right. But he starts to phase it out more and more and more and more. And then by the time you get to his last five starts of the season, he's barely throwing the four-seamer. It's 40% sinker, 14% four-seamer. And you know what the sinker was doing over the rest of that, that span? You go the last five starts, 668 OPS against it. I could scale it out to, to 15 starts. That sinker was still surrendering a sub 700 OPS. Ton of ground balls, a lot of chase, and more whiff. So I, I think he's pretty much going to eliminate the four-seamers, aside from like the get-me-over fastball. 
Sinker is going to be way more useful. You got the curveball, which is a 70 grade pitch. No one touched that. Slider is a really solid offering as well. Changeup, I think he's either got to find it or scrap it uh, because yeah. it was so inconsistent for him, but he's got more time to find it. But I mean, this is a good enough mix. Eliminating that fastball is going to be addition by subtraction. We always talk about just throwing your better pitches more and your worst, your worst pitch less. Sometimes it's that simple. And I think it's going to be that simple for Quinn Priester this year. Yeah, I think so too, man. Number three. Luis Ortiz, guy that you got to see a little bit of, right? But he kind of skipped double A or triple A, excuse me, right? I mean, he he was mostly in double, then goes up to the big leagues and showed well in the big leagues. But this guy, talk about helium, Jack. I mean, he was not even on a lot of radars going into this year. And now all of a sudden, this right-hander is is pretty much poised to anchor the middle of that rotation this year. Could be one of their better starters from the jump right there with, with Rowanzi Contreras and whoever else they want to give opportunity to. But Ortiz, is it's a 60 fastball, which he has two of. He's got a four-seamer and a sinker, uh, and both of them are playable, and both of them are very, very high velo. 70 slider. His slider is gross, and he locates it unbelievably well to his glove side. Um, and so that could be burying on the back like a lefties or sweeping away from righties. He will miss with it where it backs up on him, and it's still a good pitch. Changeup is the third pitch that's distant right now, but it's made – He's made some improvements with it. I think it has a chance to be average. But with the two fastballs, the slider, and if it's a changeup that's just good enough, he's already got good command. This guy could be a three-starter. Yeah, I mean, I I think that he is overpowering on the mound. And this was a guy that not many people knew about when he was in double A. And and he got Mm -hmm. the nod to triple. And, you know, people needed to brush up on Luis Ortiz. It was not like Priester coming or Mike Burroughs coming. It was, hey, a guy that had a mid four ZRA and got long balled into oblivion in Altoona is coming up. He had 19 (laughs) homers allowed in 114 innings, but he threw 114 innings across 23 starts. That's a lot. Like, that's a guy that was eating innings. Obviously, they're not trying to monitor him and play doctor with him and limit him. Um, Ortiz came, he started a game in Omaha and he was sitting like 99. He, he touched, I think one Oh two with yeah. a fastball. I mean, when you are that overpowering, I don't think he jumped out in prospect circles until he made his major league debut yeah. and everybody saw the stuff and it was like, Holy shit. Who's this guy? You saw some ugly swords from experienced big league hitters just looking super uncomfortable because, and there's a, a sequence that I, I tweeted out and, and I'll, probably end up adding it to the article here in the thread where righty hit her up. He runs 99 or hundred miles an hour with arm side run in on the hands of a righty. And then all of a sudden he snaps that slider. So you had to worry about that, that hundred mile an hour sinker in on your hands. You're getting ready to cheat for that. And now he gives you the slider. You're swinging like an idiot on your front foot. So just like that, all of a sudden, you know, you're able to really set up and sequence well and give these guys really uncomfortable at bats. I'm interested to see how we can get lefties out. I think the development of the changeup is going to be big for that. Also, fastball location. That's a big thing. Big command versus control guy. Command's not totally there. Control is there. He throws a lot of strikes, but he'll miss middle, middle. He'll miss up sometimes with the sinker. And that's why he got burned by the home runs is he was sometimes putting the sinker up like, you know, at the letters, it's like you can't have it there. It can't live there. And that's why we saw him you know, get burned by the long ball. If he starts working that bottom third of the zone, he's going to be a problem. Um, and, and I mean, look at like a Framber Valdez, right? High velo sink. If you can locate that well with a good breaking ball, it's a little bit different. It's more of a sharper slider, but you can just get a lot of ground balls. And yeah, you might compromise some lifts, but you're going to save a lot of runs off the board. 
Yes, 100%, man. And I think if this guy is bowling ball bottom of the zone, he's going to become one of the better ground ball pitchers in the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm excited to see what he does this year. I think he should be in the rotation from from day one. Yeah, I think so, too. Number two, one of the only guys that's you know lower level in, in this top 10 in this pirate system, Tamar Johnson. Uh, I mean, you've probably heard of him if you listen to this podcast. He's been one of the more hyped up high school names we've heard in a while just because of how exciting the hit tool is. A guy that's just had the, it was almost like he was born to hit, right? He seems like he must have just had that swing. His dad handed him, his mom or dad handed him a bat when he was, you know, a toddler, and he puts a swing on a wiffle ball on the tee, and, and everyone's like, whoa, he's got something there. Like, he just seems like one of those guys that was born to hit. He's 5'8, 175 pounds, uh, but he packs a punch. He can definitely tap into, I think, what's eventually going to be plus raw power. But what's amazing is he's got some movement, he's got a barrel tip. There's some crazy stuff that he has going on with his load, but the swing is just so smooth, so quick, and it but stays in the zone for so long. I mean, this is one of the higher-rated high school hit tool guys we've seen. I think there's some things he needs to shore up a little bit more for him to reach that 70-grade hit tool. But once he gets his moves repeated and is able to kind of simplify things maybe a little bit, I think he's going to be one of the better hitters in the minor leagues if everything goes right. I think he's the second baseman long-term, but – a power hitting second baseman who could really be one of the better bat to ball guys as well in the minor leagues. That's a really fun profile. Tamar is a very exciting prospect who I can't wait to see over the course of a full season this year. So if you're like me, the first glimpse you got of Tamar Johnson was a home plate view of him just pumping balls into the right field seats at Tropicana field pre-draft. And it was like, Oh wow, he's the next coming. Um, I like the bat. The swing is so crazy. Like the barrel tip is so announced. The leg kick is so exaggerated and yet it looks perfect. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, there are so many cues where you're like, okay, it could throw tomorrow out of whack. And then all of a sudden he just uses God given abilities to hit a ball 500 feet to right center at Tropicana field. So, I mean, I don't, I, it's obviously way too early for me to like make it, an assessment of Tamar Johnson. But what I will say is the swing, albeit chaotic, is almost picture perfect in its chaos with how it finishes. That's poetic, Jack. And, and it's like Zach Neto is similar. It's like, okay, we're going to question the swing, question the swing. All right, well, now he's mashing in double A. So you want right. to keep questioning the movement, right? Sometimes good athletes can make it work, man. And if you don't have to question the path, which I don't question the path on Tamar, I don't question the path on Neto. It's beautiful through the zone. If they get there every time and they do it and they repeat it, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and I think that's – we'll see if Tamar can do that. But I'm expecting that there's a good chance he can. And guess what? If he can't, very simple solution. Simplify it a little bit. He's still a freaking twitch athlete who's going to be able to hit the ball hard even without that movement. I really think that it's more of just kind of just what he's used to and what he knows. It's the Cody Bellinger conversation, right? MVP Bellinger. It's, oh, what you can point out, swing mechanics coaches can point out so many flaws in Cody Bellinger's swing, but the dude just hit 47 nukes and won an MVP. And then all of a sudden he stinks and he makes a change last year and he gets a little bit better. You know what I mean? So you kind of have this swing that like everybody, you know, cries poor about, but if it's successful, it's successful. And if it's not successful, they'll change it. What's interesting is that I feel like almost no one even questions Tamar's because it's a lefty and it's pretty. If it was a righty, everyone would be questioning it. I swear but to God. Bellinger, but Bellinger's a lefty and pretty. Yeah. I, that one is just so weird. It was <laughs> I don't only question because he hit like 150. Yeah, correct. Correct. So if Tamar hits, no one's going to question it. And I think he's got the, the, the bat to ball skills and the twitch 
to make it happen. So even with the movement, not worried about it. Second base, I think he'd be a good defender there. Uh, maybe an above average one. I don't see him playing anywhere else. But I mean, we're talking 30 home run potential here with a, a, an elite hit tool potentially. And this could be one of the best hitters in baseball if he hits the ceiling, which is an extremely exciting ceiling. If he had a little bit more positional uh, value there, he'd probably be a higher ranked prospect, but he's still well inside the top 100. Yeah. Last but not least, I would say one of the kings of just baseball. I hate that our faces are there right now on, on YouTube as we're trying to look at Andy. So we'll scroll right here. Last but not least is Andy Rodriguez, switch hitting catcher who just went nuclear this year, man. And if you've been listening all the way back from the locked on MLB prospect days, it, this is a guy that we, we've loved forever. And this has been somebody that we've been on forever. I couldn't believe that the Mets traded him for Joey Lucchese. The swing was Always so advanced. I did not think that he would hit for this much power, though. And this is a guy that, while the exit velos are just above average, he gets so much carry and lift on the baseball. He knows when to try to do damage. He knows when to try to drive it in the gap. He is a natural, natural, natural hitter from both sides of the plate. Good catcher who can also play in the field, play second, play outfield, play first. I mean, it's, it's Dalton Varsho-esque. He's not going to be an elite defender uh, at other positions like Varsho, but he's going to be valuable at other positions, which is awesome, and really be valuable with the bat. He was our minor league hitter of the year for good reason. I mean, he did everything, and he climbed all the way to triple and then showed out in triple. This is one of my favorite swings in the minor leagues. I've been talking about this guy for years, and I can't tell you how good it felt to see him exceed even my wildest expectations because I would – I would say this is somebody that that I've been as high on as anyone, and he still has somehow exceeded those expectations as a $10,000 international free agent by the Mets way back. This guy is going to be good for a very, very, very long time, and I am a huge, huge fan of the way he plays the game. He's one of the biggest, you know, underdog stories that we've seen in a long time in terms of baseball prospects. And $10,000 free agents, right? We, we talked about... Um, Christian Javier and Framber Valdez, right? Framber was uh, knocked as a guy that can't be durable whatsoever. And then here he is turning into one of the more durable pitchers in baseball. Like those are the two, you know, main international free agent underdog stories that we've talked about. But Andy Rodriguez is quickly becoming that. He was just baseball's minor league hitter of the year. Like yep. for a $10,000 guy to become that is utterly insane. But you see it with the swing. You see how controlled the swing is, how simple it is. It feels so point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And with how composed he is defensively at every single stop, I mean, it's it's really, really impressive what he's doing. And I mean, this guy, does he scream franchise centerpiece? I don't know. But does he scream the Clay Thompson to O'Neill Cruz's yeah. Steph Curry? Yes, he does. And and the difference is the floor, right? Like this guy, I he he's one of those that I would almost be one of my if you said you got to pick one guy from your top 100 list outside of the top 20, that's a guaranteed, you know, above average big leaguer in the first couple of years of his of his career. He's one of the names I'm seriously considering because you're talking about a switch hitter who is equal from both sides. He's gotten both swings to the point where it's okay from the left side. 981 OPS from the right side, 939 OPS. Uh, You talk about the glove. It's good behind the dish. He's continued to make strides there. But even if something weird happens and he can't do it there, his offensive profile at second is elite. Even in left field, it would be a great offensive profile. At first base, he would hit enough and slug enough to be a good piece there. So, like, this guy has so many different outcomes that are all exciting. And the best one is the one that I think is going to happen. He's a switch hitting catcher that – 
if you want to keep him in the lineup, you move him elsewhere like Dalton Varshow. And, and depending on what your catching situation is, he can catch more or less. Um, I'm a huge fan of this guy, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do in triple because I assume he's going to start with you in triple there. And I'm going to be signing up for Jack McMullen text alerts on ND Rodriguez. I do tune into a lot of your games, and I encourage anyone listening to this to tune into the Indianapolis Indian games when the season comes around because Jack does an awesome job with Howard Kelman, absolute legend out there uh, who's been doing it for Longer than you and I have been alive combined, I think. So I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's uh it's a great, great team over there, a lot of fun. And uh tune in to watch some Endy because I am going to be doing that. Uh Jack, any final thoughts? I think Endy to me, if I could pretty much sum it up, I feel so good about him being a 275 hitter with at least I'm saying like 275 hitter with 20 to 25 bombs and walks a lot. Like I really feel like that's almost you can't say median, like it's it, obviously a high end outcome, but I don't even feel like that's the ceiling. Like that's the pretty good outcome for him. That's the pretty good outcome. The, the best outcome is 300 with 25 homers. And I mean, like a K rate that's maybe under 10%, you know what I mean? Or like right yeah, around 10%. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's so stupid how simple hitting was for this guy. And while learning to catch, while learning to catch, I, I'm curious what he looks like with six months off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because obviously, like, you can ride a hot streak for a while. He rode one for six months, which was just stupidly awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But if he is this good, we're talking about this guy immediately as, you know, say he spends two months in Indy and then the final four months of the year in Pittsburgh. We're talking about this guy as, like, a, a top five catcher in baseball at the beginning yeah. of the 2024 season if he is what he just showed us this past year. 100% man I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with you in AAA and then at the big league level hopefully pretty soon as well that'll do it for this episode of the call up again you can follow along and read more on the write-ups in the podcast description or the YouTube description please leave a rating like subscribe on YouTube if you're watching there help us grow this show really excited to continue to do farm systems each week as we move forward here Coming out on tomorrow's episode, I'm going to be breaking down Baseball America's top 100 list with Jeff Ponce, one of the main writers over there. So very excited to break down their list and talk to them about you know some of their some of the biggest surprises for me and Jack. Uh, Jack's going to have some celeb questions as well uh, as we can kind of pick Jeff's brain and, and what the Baseball America staff was thinking there. And it'll be a nice teaser a few weeks ahead of us updating our top 100 list for 2023. They do an awesome job at Baseball America and. Jeff is the man. I know you'll enjoy hearing him on the episode. Jack, anything anything else? I don't think so. Uh, I'm excited to see a lot of these guys. Again, proximity is king, and proximity is exactly what you get with the Pirate system. Um, and Bubba Chandler. Bubba Chandler might be this year's 10 cats. I'll call it. Yes. Right Yes, with, with with less training wheels, and I can't wait for that. So looking forward to that. That'll do it for this episode. We will talk to you with Jeff Ponce in Baseball America tomorrow. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.